that go back to before the Reformation and have an understanding of, hey, this is how the early church actually held, you know, beliefs about partiality, favoritism, things that we wouldn't consider racism necessarily at that point because they didn't have that word but could definitely be seen as racism today, partiality, favoritism. What did did the early church believe about things like justice or helping the poor? I can take those ideas from the early church and, and look at how I can apply that today. Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. This is Shannon Poe with Tactical Faith. I am interviewing Monique Dusan. Is that right? Yes. Out in California, she is with the uh, the Center for Biblical Unity. She uh, she is a Christian. She has been pretty outspoken against critical race theory within the church, and we have brought her on today to find out a few more things about her. A the first thing that I want to know about about Miss Dusan is how and why you are a Christian. But before that, I want to lets you plug your book that's coming out or it's coming out or it is out. Well, two things. The book I only contributed on, it's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. It's an amazing book. It's um, by Dr. Thaddeus Williams, and he's a professor at Biola University. So I I contributed to it. I know you've had Neil Shinvi on your show. He contributed, Sam Say, um, there's a guy, Edwin Ramirez, and we were all contributors on a larger project by Dr. Williams. Is is the Ramirez guy, is he with the R-rated Christianity group? I don't believe so. No. No? Okay. No, he has his own podcast, The Proverbial Life. He came out of critical race theory, much like I did. And he just, he has an awesome testimony and does a lot of work speaking out one against CRT, but then looking at different issues within Christianity. How do we disagree appropriately? What is the role of, you know, the father and the man within Christianity? It's awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, well, I love I love awesome testimonies. I love to hear about how people have been changed and transformed by Jesus. And uh, there's there's some there's some points of commonality between your ministry and our ministry. I think both of them would describe themselves essentially as mere Christian ministries, right? Um, it looked like that was the way the direction that you were going, even going so far as to say that uh, even though you would consider yourself even though you would consider yourself Protestant, you still want to reach out to uh, Orthodox communities and Catholic communities, right? As a, as, as an apologetic organization, we, we kind of see ourselves in the same way. We've, we've, we've worked with Catholic uh, philosophers. We've worked with um, a lot of people from Biola, frankly, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's that's just kind of that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on what it what it truly means to be to be cre- a Christian 
and uh, kind of in a Nicene Creed Creed perspective. And it se- seems like that's basically where your organization wants to wants to kind of live and breathe, right? You're not looking for division within the church. That would get that would be counterintuitive to the uh, the name of your organization. The unity part. Yeah, the unity part. Um, so is there? Uh, so what exactly do you do with the center for? I mean, you you are the founder, right? Yes, I am the founder, uh, the Center for Biblical Unity. We look, well, one, I'll start with our mission. Our mission is one race, one people, one savior. And we look at the historic Christian um, ideas. We we look to, to get our concepts for unity, justice, oppression, um, our definition of terms from the early um, Christian church. And when I say early, I mean like the first 300 years of the church. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking before the Reformation and denominationalism and all of that to what has the church historically believed? And so I've had conversations with Orthodox, those like in the Coptic tradition, Mm that go back to before the Reformation and have an understanding of, hey, this is how the early church actually held, you know, beliefs about partiality, favoritism, things that we wouldn't consider racism necessarily at that point because they didn't have that word, but could definitely be seen as racism today, partiality, favoritism. What did did the early church believe about things like justice or helping the poor? I can take those ideas from the early church and and look at how I can apply that today. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a little bit of a combination then from uh, th- th- that you're pulling the traditions out of uh, out of the New Testament as well as the early church fathers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So well, that's interesting. It, it, what what are our core values that unite us? Not, you know, well, you're of this denomination and I'm of that denomination, not the things that separate us, but what can we go back to in the early church and say, yes, we all actually agree on this. These are the tenets of of Christianity, of our faith, and then uphold that. Yeah, I love love the Nicene Creed. I've got a book full of creeds behind me that's, uh, that's wonderful, that kind of goes through from the Apostles' Creed all the way up to some of the later creeds that uh, the Catholic Church started getting a little fuzzy about, um, at least in my Protestant mind. So, uh, is it? Is, do you go by Chant- Chantal or Monique? It's Chantal Monique, and I go by Monique. Monique, okay. So, yeah. uh, Monique. So a, um, not unless right. my mom calling me, you know, for some <laughs> some unknown reason. Well, yeah. well, you hear Chantal. Okay. All right. So Monique, so uh, speaking of your mother, are you, are you a Christian from a, from your family or uh, like, were you a Christian, were you born and raised in Christianity and then became kind of came into your, your faith later or how, how does that work? How, why, why are you a Christian? Well, I went to church when I was a young kid. My grandmother used to take me to church, but that was, again, like my grandmother taking me to church, not necessarily me um, knowing and understanding everything that was happening. And I was really young when I became, gosh, I had to be about 16. A friend of mine from school invited me to youth group and I, in going to church with my grandmother, it was a small church, all black in South LA. 
And so, you know, there was tambourines and, you know, that was, it was more of a traditional black church. And when my friend invited me to youth group, it was completely different. There were, you know, it was, it was very multiracial. The youth group actually probably more um, students of color than actual white students because we pulled from the local high schools. But Sounds it was, like it was a Pentecostal church. It was Assemblies of God. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I knew it because you said tambourines. I used to go to an Assembly of God church. I, I go to a Baptist church now, but uh, it's funny. The Assembly of God churches here in Alabama do tend to be more racially diverse than... Uh, than some of the Baptist churches, not, not all of them. I don't mean to hate on my Baptist brothers and sisters because I'm not doing that, but uh, it, 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 it is interesting that the Pentecostal tradition does seem to kind of uh, be a little less discriminatory for lack of a better mm -hmm. term. Uh, may, maybe I think what it is more than that, and I'm sorry to dera derail that conversation, but it's just a random thought in my head. And I've thought about this a good bit. Like, why are why is the Baptist church in Alabama, at least? I don't know if it's like this in California, but in Alabama, it's a little more segregated than, say, the Pentecostal church, whether you're talking about Church of God or Assembly of God. And I think that that it's from my personal perspective, it's it's a little bit on both sides of the aisle. Baptist churches, whether you're talking about uh, northern kind of Baptist, like a traditional Baptist or a Southern Baptist, there seems to be a sharp divide between like black Baptist churches in Alabama and like traditional Southern Baptist churches in Alabama. This isn't across the board. Like in Birmingham, you have a little bit more of, of a mixture, but you know, it, to a certain extent, this doesn't necessarily bother me. Right. Because I understand like, like the, there, there's a particular type of culture within these these black churches. They worship a little bit differently than my Southern Baptist brothers, right? And so, you know, some of this stuff is not necessarily a racial thing. It's more of a matter of, of, of preference, you know? But whereas in the Assemblies of God churches, man, it is, it is full-on Southern gospel power worship, you know? And so I think that just as a silly aside, I, I think that, that that worship aspect of, of it kind of unites people a little bit more. But anyway, I digress. I don't want to, I don't, I, I'm, we're here to talk to you. No, actually the, the tambourine church was the black church. Um, yeah. that my grandmother used to take me to. Okay. The, the Assembly of God Church was probably more conservative, at least mm -hmm. when, when I first started going as a teen. Um, now you mean conservative in their worship, right? Yeah, I would I would say more um, definitely more reserved and conservative than the black mm -hmm. church that my grandmother was taking me to as a child. The yeah. youth group was, you know, like we had Christian hip hop and we had the, you know, fog machines and the big lights and it was just fun. It was a good time. And I think when they put out the call that I could have a relationship with God, like a father figure who would love me unconditionally mm -hmm. that just drew me in along with the relationships that I was building with different youth leaders there. There was one youth leader in particular, and she just really took me under her wing and, and really um, spoke into my life as a mother figure. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, 
it wasn't that I couldn't deny it. There was just a draw there, even in the places that I wasn't sure of, even, you know, in just being 16 years old, not knowing or understanding like all the things of the Christian faith and what am I really getting into and all of that. There was a longing to have a relationship where I would be loved unconditionally. And so I accepted Jesus um, as as a 16-year-old in our youth group. And I remember um, the idea of the old is gone and the new has come, you know, or the idea that um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would be a new creation, you know? So there was, there were all these themes and and things that I think that I was longing for in my heart and in life circumstances. And as I sat there listening, and it, I didn't just um, like go to go to youth group one time and then you know decide oh I'm going to follow Jesus. And I went time and time and time again before making that decision, and mm. eventually it just came to the point where it was like I can't deny this. I need this. I really yeah. want this. And so that's when when I did it. But it was a process. So your parents were, were, were your parents together or were they separated or you no, know, you're my, about father, your grandmother? my father actually died when I was 12 and oh, okay. we didn't have a strong relationship. I actually didn't know much about him, but at, at 12, he did die. He had a brain hem- hemorrhage. And so from that point on, I think there was even within me, just this desire for family or for mm. father and, and believing that I could have that in God and conversations with leaders that, that led me to understand the Lord's desire to be father really spoke into, to my decision in becoming a Christian. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I, I read in your bio that you, you served on the mission field for about four years. How Mm -hmm. long ago was that? Um, 2014 to 2018. 2014 to 2018. So, so relatively recently. Um, yeah, been was, years. yeah, was this, uh, at what, so when, when in your Christian journey were you exposed to critical race theory and some of these other kind of, kind of, kind of ideas in your faith? And what, whenever you were introduced to these things, was it kind of a new revelatory thing? Like, did you go through a woke kind of experience? Like I hear some other people talking about and, or, or was it, was it kind of, was it, was it kind of baked into the culture that you were, that you were in? How, how does, how did you, cause I, I remember hearing in some of the interviews that, that you were at one point in time, an advocate for, critical race theory and some of these other ideas, right? Yeah. So I honestly just think that it, it is, and was something that I just kind of breathed in, breathed in naturally. It was the conversations at school with teachers, things that teachers would say it was conversations at friends houses or, um, you know, in my own home, just Mm -hmm. about, you know, how people, how people of color are treated by white people in general. I lived in LA during the Rodney King riots and, you know, the anger was attributed to black people just tired of being done any kind of way of feeling like, you know, we are, or had been trampled on by whites and that things weren't changing tired of the glass ceiling and everything like that. When I got to university, that was when I and I studied sociology. 
a lot of the terms were given and the statistics were given that proved more of the CRT rhetoric. And mm. so I just held on to the framework and and said, this must be what's wrong with the world. And so I advocated from that position in like my jobs and just relationship or relationships with other people, you know, helping them to understand, well, you know, truly people of color are oppressed or marginalized. And, you know, it wasn't those words, those terms, but to help people understand things like systemic injustice or um, a glass ceiling and things like that. Yeah. So uh, whenever you were in college, it was your degree in social services. I also read that in your bio that, that you that you are uh, that that's your that was your background or is your background. My background. Are you doing full time ministry now? I am. Is I'm this... in full time ministry now. Okay. I was um, a sociology major with a counseling uh-huh. minor and. I have worked in social service, you know, up until I moved to South Africa and and did mission work overseas. But I did everything from case management to program management, youth and foster care, group homes and all that. Sorry about that. Um, Okay. Uh, So um, what was, well, I I have to ask you, what was your time like in Africa? I loved it. Yeah. What, what, who did you, what, uh, I'm assuming you went over there with, with a particular mission organization. It was not a mission organization. It was a leadership organization called Gap Community. And they do a lot of leadership development here within the States. And then they take trips overseas to really build up impoverished communities and speak leadership skills into people living in impoverished communities. And so I lived in South Africa right outside of Cape Town and mm-hmm. did work in Zambia and Haiti while I was living there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, n- not, not to go too far down a rabbit trail, but uh, how, how much of these, how many of these ideas are alive and prevalent in places like uh, Cape Town and those other places that you, that you served in? Are well, they- in Cape- in Cape Town, I see it um, more strongly than I do, I would say, in Zambia and South Africa, or in Zambia and Haiti. I think in Haiti, it's just more people as opposed to bigger like uh, mobs of people. It would be like individuals. I know a couple of people in Haiti who uphold more of a CRT worldview. In mm. South Africa, it is now becoming almost like a movement like it is here where yeah. you know, we need to tear down statues and we need to decolonize our faith and decolonize education or um, decolonize the STEM fields and math and things like that. Yeah, apartheid probably played into that and was a little bit of a precursor, right? Uh, I think that the... I think have, holding more of a capitalist mindset has been an issue. A lot of people see South Africa as trying to emulate America. Mm-hmm. And so with that, there becomes tension. I think that when when America does something, South Africa tends to follow closely behind. And so we had the uprisings and things like that and tearing down of statues. And then, you know, shortly after that, they were tearing down statues. And so I think it's a mix. It's a mix of a lot of things. But I mean, they're 27, 28 years outside of apartheid. They still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with with that segue, um, 
what uh so i guess before we before we we talk about your your mission now in uh speaking out against critical race theory within the church are there are there any things that we can learn about critical race theory and right before that i want to i want to read this this statement from uh from your website and it says uh this is i think this was under the about us section but it says issues of race impact us all we believe that the solution to these issues must start with scripture we begin with defining terms according to scripture not culture terms like woke white fragility or whiteness have no place within the body of christ and only cause hurt and increase disunity among believers. So I think I think most people understand now what woke is, what white fragility is, and what what the ideas about whiteness are. Um, but you say at the beginning of that, issues of race impact us all. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you see issues of race still impacting the Christian church today? Positively or negatively? I think that the church is just, we're filled with humans and humans are also a part of culture. And so when I am impacted by, you know, like someone's racist behavior, that one that impacts me, but because I'm your sister in Christ, like that should impact you. You should be curious as to understand like, oh my gosh, like how, what happened? And is there a way that I can, you know, speak out against, you know, racial injustice? The same way I feel like that if there was a racial impact impacting you, how can I use my voice to speak out against that? And what can we as the church learn or understand about our current cultural moment regarding race and unity where we can, one, teach on it so that everyone becomes more clear? But then also, how do we um, equip how do we equip believers to understand that things like partiality and favoritism is wrong? Um, Mm -hmm. But as long as I believe that there are, as long as there are sinful and wicked hearts, we're always going to deal with this on some level. And so equipping the church to be able to understand this is how racism works. This is what it's looking like right now. This is what injustice looks like right now. We have a, a, a place where we can use our voice and um, use our platform to be able to speak out against race and racial injustice. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, growing up in Alabama, I grew up in Birmingham. So, you know, i I went to uh, a school that was still um, that was still very much uh, an integrated school, and so like you know they were they were still busting kids in from from uh, from some of the other outer from like Inslee and other and Irondale, and so like it was about fifty fifty, and so there's a, a I feel like uh, some Christians who who especially are younger than me, they, they have this kind of, if I can throw this term out there without overly defining it, but like this, uh, white guilt, this kind of, you know, they, they don't, they don't know a lot of black people, but like, I grew up with a lot of black people. I I've worked with black guys. I've worked with a lot of Mexican people. I've, you know, being in the restaurant industry for a little while. So there's, 
I've never experienced any kind of white guilt because I've always had friends, people of color, who I've who I've been friends with, and it's it's never been something that that's been bothersome to me until I was told it should bother me. And so then I'm like, well, what is it, what is it about this that should bother me? Because I'm not racist, but then I'm told, well, if you say that you're not racist, then that means that you're probably a racist, which seems a little confusing to me because I'm like, I, I, I don't understand. So what, what, what is the, so a term like, woke and white fragility and whiteness before we get into that i guess i want to know before we define our terms i don't know there's either two things we can do here should we define the terms or should we first talk about why you came out of or why you are speaking out against critical race theory and a lot of the uh, subsets of this now either one you want to okay Let's go ahead um, I am speaking out against critical race theory because what I see is that one, it's a secular framework. Two, I don't, I mean, one, I don't, I don't think we need to uphold secular frameworks within the church. I don't think that we as Christians need to take our marching orders from culture to tell us how to be unified, to tell us how to fight injustice or things like that. Uh, I believe that scripture is clear on how to do that. That's one thing. Two, I just really see it as a divisive framework. You know, I um, one of the the stories that I've told is that I used to have an intern, and she came. She's a, she was white, and she came to work one day completely in tears, and was you know telling me about the students of color who were just telling her that she was fragile, and every time she spoke, she was only speaking from her privilege, and if she asked a question, it was because she was again speaking from privilege. She hasn't had to endure racism, and so she doesn't know what that's like or microaggressions and things like that, and. You know, she's at a Christian university. It's not like mm. she was at a, a public school, a state school or anything like that. She's at a, a private Christian university where she's also telling me that, you know, this professor was fired because he didn't believe in Black Lives Matter. And he said that they were, you know, an organization that shouldn't be supported by Christians. And so they let him go. It was, um, it was, that was one of the markers for me that, that led me to speaking out against it. And, and as I look at what's happening in culture to white people, those who believe in Christ and those who don't being canceled or just being declared as racist, I don't see any formula for unity there. You know, I don't mm. know how me calling you a racist is going to lead to our unity. I don't know how me me telling you that you're my oppressor is leading to our unity. Now, can we have conversations about oppression? Sure, as long as we define our terms biblically. That mm -hmm. to me is a different conversation. But when we are in Christ, when we are Christians, we hold the, the position of being brothers and sisters because we are we are adopted into the family. And so looking at you and saying, well, because you have a different skin tone than me, because you have less melanin than me, you really are just my oppressor. And we can never get to unity or oneness, as, as it says in John 17. You know, we can never get to oneness until you do all these additional things. I don't see that in scripture. 
I don't see the idea that you're my oppressor in scripture. Now, again, we can have a conversation of oppression and what does that look like? And biblically, you know, when we when we look at the biblical view of oppression and when we look at what's happening in culture, if those things add up, then sure, maybe this group is being oppressed. Let's have that conversation. How do we speak out on behalf of other image bearers so that we end oppression? Yeah. Fine. But I can't scripturally find a basis for me to approach you and tell you that you're my oppressor or that I am the oppressed because scripture calls us brothers and sisters. And I think that even, even mentioning or, or the way that it's used right now in culture, it's more of an identity statement. You are the oppressor. You are the oppressed. That's not my identity. My identity is found in Christ. And if my identity is found in Christ and I'm a child of God first, and that makes us brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's go on and preach on that a little bit more. The idea of the Imago Dei, you know, that we are all created in the image of God. White, black, male, female. This was a radical statement that Paul made in in the new in his new in in his epistles, right? This idea. He's he's speaking to a first century audience and saying that in Christ there is there is no difference that we are one in Christ. That means that, that the barriers between male and female, like the, the, the beautiful song that I grew up singing as a child, you know, red or yellow, black or white, we're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. I mean, I, I've, I've grown up with that. And so, and then to see, now that is such a beautiful statement of faith. And what you just expressed is such an awesome, beautiful statement of faith that we can look past whatever surface level things are going on and we can, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and be united through Jesus. That's not to say that, that I'm going to ignore the fact that you're a black woman, right? Or ignore the fact that you're from California and I'm from Alabama and it probably means that you're a little bit different than I am. Simply because, I mean, like California is a long way from Alabama. I mean, like that's almost like a whole nother country, right? In some ways. We we have our unique ways. I love it out here. Yes. So let me ask you this question. And I, so this is, this, this is, this is kind of something that I've been mulling around in the back of my head, right? Can you be, can you really be racist and still be a Christian, right? Like, I grew up in Southern, I I grew up in the South, in Alabama. And I remember, I remember family members using derogatory words for black people, right? But at the same time, those same people, if they, if they saw somebody hitchhiking and they saw somebody that needed a ride back then, you could still hitchhike in the South and, you know, it's probably not very safe anymore to hitchhike period, but you know, that used to be a way that people got around. And if you needed to lift, you know, a couple of miles down the road, you could do that. And uh, those same family members that would say those things, if they saw somebody with their thumb out black or white, they'd pick them up and give them a ride, you know? So that's, that's kind of, that's a question that I have, right? Because I see, the way I define racism is a little more classical, right? It's not necessarily that 
the way that Robin D'Angelo might define racism as being like this systemic thing that I have because of the class that I'm in, because I'm, I'm an oppressor class and, you know, other people are not, but I, I see racism as being something that sees another person as being inferior, genetically inferior to me because of the color of their skin or, you know, because of some uber mock kind of theology about a super race of men or something like that. That sounds to me like it's real racism, right? I knew, I knew skinheads in, uh, in Birmingham, right? That they all got kicked out of the school that I was in because there was too much, it created too much racial tension. Um, but you know, like I knew, I knew some of those guys, I had beers with some of those guys. Right. And, uh, but then I also had black friends, right. My, my question, going back to my question is, can you be, can you, can you like, like racism on a normal thing, like on a normal definition, right. Not, not, not Robin D'Angelo's definition. Because I think that a lot of these people who are adopting these frameworks are actually ending up being just as racist as some of my family members were, and maybe more racist than some of my family members were, because at least with my family, they might have been like, yeah, you know, those people are like that, but we're like this. But at the end of the day, they would break bread with them. Right now, it's almost like the, the, the cultural situation that we're in right now. You, if you speak out against Black Lives Matter, you're like persona non grata. Right. So back to my question. Is is it possible to be racist and still a Christian? What well, do you racism, think? Racism is an issue of the heart. Mm hmm. It, it's a sin, just like, you know, any other sin. It's a sin. And what I would say is that as we submit our hearts before the Lord, we should allow the Lord to check those things mm -hmm. because it does not bring glory to God to, to degrade another image bearer. You know, so if we are participating in racism, we are participating in sin. You know, it's not a thing of, can I be a Christian and be a racist. Why would you want to? Why mm -hmm. would you want to call yourself a Christian and actively participate in a sin? Yeah, I'm and not advocating now, for it. I'm just no, 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 no. I'm not saying you're advocating <laughs> for it. I'm just saying that as Christians, we also have to remember that I need to daily submit my heart to God and not withhold yeah. any part of my heart from Him. And I feel like those people who um, who say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. And yet the little N word is, you know, I'll, I'll pick him up or her up on the side of the road. There's an issue of heart there. There's mm -hmm. an issue that needs to be submitted to the Lord because that is to me, not okay. Like it's not okay if for us to make excuse for one sin, but then say, well, you know, this person it, well, th well, there's no excuse for them in their sin. So mm -hmm. the person who upholds Black Lives Matter and the person who will pick up a Black person on the side of the road, but then call him the N-word when he's not looking, I don't see the difference in that. There, It's still sin and it's an issue of the heart and they both should repent. 
Mm, that's good. I like that. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, like uh, it's, it's some of this is generational, right? Um, you know, the older, like my, my, uh, my grandparents' generation, it was, and, I, and I've seen this in the black community too. And some of that, I'm not going to say that it's not justified. I mean, living, being black in, in Alabama in the 1950s, I'm sure was very hard on some people. And there's, there's still some bitterness in some people's hearts and minds because of that. And they're like people that are my age, you know, they remember the stories that their, their grandmother would tell them about, about the kind of things that they would have to deal with here in, 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 in the South. And so, you know, I get that there's, there's a little bit of a generational thing there, but like, I think that, at least with my parents, you know, they, they taught me, even though they might've, they might've grown up in a, in a system or, uh, in a culture rather, not necessarily a system, but in a culture where racism from like being a white racist was a little more acceptable. My parents always taught me that that was not the biblical way to go, Mm -hmm. that that was, that there that, that Christ died for everyone like i said i grew up singing that song uh jesus loves the little children and everybody's included in that so there's uh, i say all that because it from a certain perspective you you look at what happened during the civil rights movement from the 60s on up to the 90s all up into the 2000s and from my perspective, I'm insulated. I'm not in California. I'm not in New York City. But I do live and work in Birmingham, which is the largest, one of the largest cities, if not the largest city in Alabama. Huntsville and Mobile come in, Montgomery, the, the state capital. Um, but from all, from my perspective, you know, racism, and we dealt with a lot of racism early in our past in Alabama, you know, you know, racism in Birmingham to a large extent was not an issue. Right. I, like I said, I've, I've worked in, I've worked in fact manufacturing or, you know, uh, environments I've worked in office environments and, and it, it hasn't, you know, it, it was never something that, that was, front and center in my mind until and I guess until about the last four or five years. So it, it seems to me that in the last five years, culture has taken a step back within, within these ideas about um, with, with these ideas about racism. And whereas before we were getting to a place where we were kind of, ethnically unified as Americans, right? And now I see that that same kind of division now. I see that same division getting infiltrated within the church, even even within private schools now. I see within private Christian schools from K through 12, people, teachers, talking about these ideas as if they're commonplace. And I, I, I hear them using words like white fragility. The teachers and the kids are even learning these things. 
Um, so how, how do we deal with that within the church? Are these, are these, these ideas, are they useful in any way, form or fashion? I'm sure that there are, there is a kernel of truth. Just, you know, you can't, you can't have a lie that is just a, just completely fabricated and just, uh, just a bold faced lie. I don't know. Maybe you can, I mean, Hitler killing Jews would seems like an insane thing, but a lot of Germans went along with those ideas, right? Yeah. So where are we today in the church with these ideas? How dangerous are they? Well, let me um, offer a little bit of um, more information regarding, you know, like going back, maybe these ideas only came in about four or five years ago. And, you know, possibly up until that point, we were entering into a post-racial society and things like that. I actually don't don't believe that. Um, I think that the issues of race and racism have been around. And, and this is why CRT has been able to make such an entrance so quickly. I know it's caught a lot of people off guard, but mm-hmm. CRT has been around, gosh, since the end of the 80s. One, and I think it, I learned it at university in 2001. And it was quite the conversation, especially among students of color. And so I... I I think my pushback is that the the idea of being you know in a in of entering into a society that is post racial, I'm not sure that we were there four or five years ago. I honestly wonder if these conversations were had just more in separate kind of like separate rooms as opposed mm-hmm. to now where it's just in your face. I believe that we have a moment in history where many people feel like there's an acceptance um, and a cultural stand to just be able to say what what's whatever's in the forefront. You know, when I came home from South Africa, I was quite surprised to see, you know, on my social media feed or um, in, in com- conversation with whites and blacks together where black people would just say, you know, oh, well, you just fragile because you're white. And I'm like, whoa, like where'd that, we, we would never have said that, you know, like before I left. It and especially because I upheld, you know, a lot of this worldview. And so these were conversations that I would have among other people of color, but it wouldn't necessarily be something that was shared mixed company. And so mm. I don't know that this is something that is now like we were on this amazing road to being post-racial, and now culture is taking us back. I honestly think that culture is just taking us forward. Mm. And as the church, we haven't been abreast of what's happening in the culture. And so this is why I definitely speak out about CRT coming into the church, because I believe it's a damaging um, framework. But I also want people to be educated and equipped in understanding what it is and that it's been around for a very long time. And now that, you know, we have issues within politics and everything is coming down to basically a left or right, black or white kind of framework, people are now wondering like, well, what's going on? And when did I become racist? And how did I become racist? Well, this isn't a new structure. And it's this isn't something that culture is now taking us back, this is just the the next wave of what has been coming down the pike that, to me, historically conservative evangelicals have not had much conversation about. Mm. 
Yeah, some of that some of some of that question was a little rhetorical. I understand that that there's uh, a little bit like even even uh, liberation theology plays mm-hmm. into the idea of uh, of critical race theory and some and th- these ideas have been around and floating around for a long time. I remember uh, I graduated in uh, 2000 and in my English class at Montevallo uh, Liberal Arts College here in, in Alabama, we were supposed to be studying the classics and our, uh, one of our, our teacher decided that we were going, we were going to study African studies Mm. as opposed to the classics. Right. So uh, what was it? Things fall apart um, was one of the books that I read. I don't remember the author. But I remember that 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 shift, right, uh, kind of happening right there, you know, while I was in college, and uh, it was interesting. And I, I like that book, though. It was a good book. Um, I can't remember the name of the offer. Do you, are you familiar with that? The book no. Things Fall Apart. I uh, do know the title, but I haven't read it, and I don't know the author at yeah. all. So anyway, no, I, I really like what you said about that because you know. Uh, there, there are some things that we need to be well informed about, and honestly, some of these ideas. So, tactical faith is traditionally an apologetic organization, mm-hmm. right? We we got we got started because of the new atheists about ten fifteen years ago. Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris. Uh, you know, all of those, the, the four horsemen of the new apocalypse or uh, the, 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 the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse, whatever they, whatever they call them. Uh, you know, these ideas were, were, you know, we wanted to defend Christianity against people like Sam Harris, who wrote a book about, you know, a letter to a Christian nation. And looking back on it now, we, there's a little bit of solidarity between some of those new atheists and, and a lot of Christians, you see it with people like Dave Rubin and some other people who have left the left, right? Because they're, they're, they're finding solidarity with, with, with conservatives, I guess you could say, because we see clear differences between, uh, between genders, right? Male and female. And some of those, some of those other basic ideas that should be very obvious, but critical theory doesn't just touch upon like critical race theory is just a small subset of this. Right. Yeah. But the, the critical theory part of it, which would include critical feminist theory, critical queer theory, all of these other things. So like, like boiling it down to the, the base right before you get all of these these offshoots do you think do you think that 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 critical theory at its at its root is is endemic within the church or do you think that this is more more of the critical race theory that that is that is percolating and and causing problems well, I think it's a both and. I, I think that people aren't really aware that critical race theory is, um, one, what it is. So I think there's that whole situation. Or how closely connected it is with critical theory 
and how closely related that is to Marxism. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also critical social theory, and that's what critical race theory falls under. So critical social theory is the umbrella, and it holds critical race theory, feminist theory, LGBTQ, ableism, child studies, fat studies, you know, who are the oppressed and who are the oppressors in these categories. And so um, do I find, do I, do I think that it's just endemic within the church? No, I don't, I don't think that it is, you know, I don't think that it has come in and, you know, just taken over the evangelical church. I don't. What I, what I use my voice to do is to warn about the possibility of it coming in and taking mm -hmm. over the church. It's extremely insidious. And so it can creep in the back door and sit in the pew. And you might not even be aware that you're listening to a pastor talking about critical race theory because he's not using all of the, the terms that, you know, he, that you might associate with critical race theory. So he might not be saying, Oh, you need to be woke or, you know, oh, you need to read White Fragility. He might say something like, we need to consider lamenting or repenting from, you know, our participation in racism. Well, until you define racism, how do you know if you've participated in it or not? We, he might, he might say, you know, well, we need to consider, um, how can we how can we enter into a more equitable society? Well, what's your definition of equity, and and what are the things, what are the disparities that you see that are unequitable or inequitable, and how, like, do those things that you see as being inequalities go against the laws in the heart of God? Mm, that's good. That's one of the things that that kind of uh, that that was a little bit of a red flag for me because. Whenever I got saved, one of the first books that I got in college, and I was a real, I was kind of a rough dude before I got, before I got, I got saved. Um, I say rough guy. I mean, I was just kind of living for myself and uh, very, very much in a very liberal kind of atmosphere um, and in the most uh gratuitous way, I guess you could say. Uh, but um, what what I found whenever I got saved was one of the first things that, that a friend of mine gave me was a book on called The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin, hmm. right? And this book basically goes through, like it talks, it's got a big section about Mormonism. It's got a large section about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, a little section on the children of God, which was a little cult that was out in California. It was like a little hippie commune. Um, mm -hmm. Talks about Buddhism a little bit. Talks about Hinduism a little bit. But it cl classifies those as world religions. Talks about Islam. But but the, it's. I remember reading through the the sections on Jehovah's Witnesses and and uh, and Mormonism. And seeing how much, how many of the same terms they used, like they use the words like salvation and God, the father and God, the son. And they use all of these common terms, right? The same terms that I use as a Christian, right? All of a sudden I start seeing how they radically redefine these terms to mean something completely different turns out like mormonism is very polytheistic it's not a monotheistic religion they believe in lots of gods but you wouldn't know that 
on the outset because they use a lot of the same terms. Critical race theory and critical theory in general seem to seem to be, I don't want to call it a cult, but I do. I want to call it a little bit, it, it seems a little bit cultish because they take these ideas that have been dis- defined classically for so long and they redefine them to mean something completely different that shapes people's perception of reality, right? And it's shapes the way that they see things, right? And uh, and I'll, I'll accept pushback on that from you if you would like. But yeah, I see I, it as a little, as the, the way that they, especially the way Robin DiAngelo redefines like things like racism and anti-racism and all of these other terms. And it's just like, this is, this is like, this is like a religion, right? Well, I think it holds all the aspects of a worldview. Mm. Oh so yeah, definitely. Yeah. World, it, it, it would have a worldview. And yeah. so I think that, you know, calling it a cult is, is strong because in and the only reason why I caution against that is because we want to make sure that we're able to win a conversation with someone who is, who is holding to a different framework. Now Mm -hmm. what CRT advocates will say is that it's an analytical tool. Sure. I think it can be an analytical tool, but for the most part, unless you're an academic, most people are using it as a worldview. So there is uh, this aspect of salvation. There is this aspect of original sin um, or man's fundamental problem, the prime reality. Like there are, there are aspects of CRT um, that that function much as a worldview, and they an- it answers worldview questions. But so do cults. So do other religions. Like these. It's, there's commonality there with the question. Mm-hmm. So yes, but I, I do push back on, on saying that it's a cult because I think that much like a Christian would not want to be, um, you know, yeah, I wouldn't want to, uh, yeah, my Mormon yeah. neighbors that come to my house all the time. The first thing out of my mouth is not going to be like, you know, you guys are part of a cult. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to end the conversation real quick. And I'm not going to get any more Mormon missionaries to my house because they're going to be like, that guy's a jerk. I'm going to go on the blacklist. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be on the blacklist. No, um, we want to make sure that oh we're gosh, doing that things. That sounds too. racist, doesn't it? I'm sorry. To say that it's on the blacklist. Is that a microaggression? No, I hope not. It doesn't sound. <laughs> like, feel like one to me. Sorry. But um, that was know, a bad joke. I, I thought maybe that was constantly loving. You know, how do we constantly yeah. love? Because because it does function as a worldview for many people. Their idea of of salvation can be through wokeness. It, it It's a secular humanist framework. And so if it's secular humanist, that means it can be good without God, you know, we, but we know that there is no good without God. And so how do I approach them on common ground? What are the things that a critical race theorist or a social justice warrior would believe that I also believe, you know, because there are overlap, there is overlap. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's that's one of the things that makes it so appealing, you know. I mean, we talk about we want to be uh we want to be concerned with issues of justice within our society. I mean, I think about somebody like William Wilberforce that was the reason why Britain why why England did not enter into a civil war over the the issue of slavery. You know, he's probably the 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 main, the, the guy that fought so hard 
for the abolition of slavery and within within America we did not we did not accept people within the political spectrum like like William Wilberforce and we ended up fighting a bloody civil war over it mm-hmm. um you know so the idea of social justice i think is something that christians should very much be concerned with um it just gets muddy a little bit with critical theory, critical race theory, right? I think it, I think it gets muddy because, especially among Christians, the gospel gets conflated as social justice. Mm. You know, so there's that. Like we all, we have to be able to identify our terms and know scripture. So, love my neighbor as myself. That's law. That 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 idea is under the law. The gospel is truly mm-hmm. the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Now, my heart is changed through the gospel, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. My heart becomes changed, and I am moved because of the transformation in my heart to do justice, to uphold the law, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But we have to have a clear definition of terms and a clear understanding of scripture. And this is why apologetics is so important in understanding how do I participate because of the gospel with the rest of scripture, with the law and all of Mm -hmm. these things. Because there are clear commands to do justice. There are clear commands to speak out on behalf of the oppressed, to speak speak out on on behalf of the poor. You know, so we have these clear commands. But how do I how do I do these things from a place of of scripture first? You know, culture will tell you, well, you need to be inclusive. Well, okay, like we can have that conversation. I can be inclusive, but am I inclusive of what now? How are you defining inclusivity? Is that meaning that I am not leaving people out because of their color and participating in racism? Or am I inclusive and now needing to include LGBTQ, queer, like all of these things? I need to include different religions into our pulpits. Like what is what does inclusive mean? And this is a problem with accepting critical race theory because the terms, people aren't threading out the terms, nor do they understand that under the umbrella of critical social theory, all of these other theories are interconnected. So when mm. I use the term inclusive in critical race theory, because LGBTQ, LGBTQ is connected to critical race theory. That term inclusive also means that I'm going to include, you know, the the LGBTQ person perhaps in a place of leadership within my church. And that's not to say that we, we are rejecting of LGBTQ at all. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that there are fundamental beliefs that we hold as evangelical Christians when it comes to places of leadership. And mm-hmm. so in using the word inclusivity or inclusive and in meaning, no, we shouldn't leave out people because of race. Am I now on the back end inadvertently saying, and yes, I should include the, the LGBTQ into a pastoral leadership role within my church. We have to be careful to distinguish what we're meaning and saying so that we have clarity in the body and in culture. Yeah, defining our terms uh, seems seems very crucial right now. And the only reason, the only way that we're going to be able to define our terms is to understand what those terms are, are meaning from the other person that we're listening to and talking to. Um, well, we're 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 right at the hour mark. Um, is there is there anything that um, that that uh, that you want to 
round out this conversation with. I think that uh, I kind of think I think we we covered everything. How you became a Christian? Why is critical race theory good or bad for the the church? Um, were you always opposed to critical race theory? Obviously, you were not. And uh, what changed your mind? Right. So. Did we cover that? What did change your mind? I think it was a, a few things. One, conversations with the Lord, Holy Spirit. Um, my intern that, you know, came into my job crying one day because of the division at her school and how she was being mm. treated. I was having a lot of conversations with my ministry partner, and she she's a theologian. And um, by trade and by profession, she has two master's degrees from Talbot um, in theology. And you know, our conversations of, well, you know, how does scripture, you know, fit into this worldview? If, if you're affirming this, what do you think about this in light of scripture? I was challenged on some things. And then the Lord really got, got in there and was like, hey, you know, this is what, what the historic church has always said. He began to take me back to before you know, this idea of a colonized faith before the Reformation. What did the mm-hmm. early church believe? Um, I've ha- I had conversations with those in the Orthodox, um, in the Coptic faith, the ortho- more Orthodox tradition to understand, you know, how does, how does an ancient faith hold these ideas? I think mm-hmm. that was extremely important. Um, yeah. And so it, mine, I feel like it was, it was a lot of different sides, a lot of different things that, that brought me out. It wasn't like, oh, I just had, you know, a kind of a Paul on the Damascus Road situation. Um, it was many different things and many different voices. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those, those Damascus Road encounters are, are not, 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 not common. And even Paul had to go through a, situ- a period where he basically went out to the woodshed and 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 went back and probably revisited all of the scriptures that he had memorized and saw them through a whole different light and then he went back to jerusalem um monique dusan it has been a very it has been my pleasure to speak with you um hopefully we can do this again and uh if uh if if people want to find you where how do they get a how do they how do they find you from uh your website. Yes. Yeah, you want so to give a call to, out to that? You can go to our website at centerforbiblicalunity.com. Uh, there's links to our Twitter account there, to our Facebook, to Instagram. All of that is there. You can find us on Facebook at the Center for Biblical Unity. That's just our name on Facebook and join our conversation. Join the I think we have like 8,000 people on, on our Facebook feed who are, mm. you know, engaging in this conversation, who are believers and, you know, don't, don't ascribe to CRT. We have, you know, maybe you have questions. We try hard to answer questions, to put out information and content that answers questions from a biblical perspective, not from a CRT perspective. And so, yeah, you can find us. We also have a podcast. It's called All the Things. Um, And it is, we're on Facebook, All the Things Show. Or we have a a website, ATT Livestream. Um, Yes. All right. That's great. Well, uh, once once we get through the coronavirus stuff and we start doing events again, we're gonna 
we're, we want to we want to try to get people like you and Neil down to talk about these things because I really I really do think that it's something that the church needs to talk about. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we will we will end the show. And thank you very much, Monique. Thank you. You have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. <laughs>